everybody, you're listening to the Raw Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our FetLife page, Rope Podcast. Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom, and we're rope partners who've been practicing together for nearly five years. We live in Bangkok and love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by Friction Live. Friction Live offers a variety of kink classes, mostly centered around rope and things you can do to complement your rope, which you can follow along with from the comfort of your own couch, kitchen, bed or office. You can attend the class live or view it recorded at your convenience. Check them out on frictionlive.ca. Today, Maya, we're really pleased to be talking to Rigor Otis. Otis is a Rigor or Kimbaku artist and educator who discovered rope bondage six years ago. Initially inspired by the traditional Japanese style bondage of Akila Naka and Yukimula Haruki, he has studied with Naka for four years. In 2017, he created the Kinbaku Odyssey Studio, and he describes his style as essentially erotic seminawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were very struck by the way his photographs present the female form, and we wanted to understand his style and background a bit more today. So, hello, Hodis. Hello. Uh, Otis, to get us started, can you tell us a bit how you got started with rope bondage in the first place? So first, I want to thank you for opportunity to be interviewed for this podcast. Of course. Um, and, you know, my name is, so the Otis comes from Otis, your journey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, well, it, w- it was quite interesting. My rope journey actually began about six years ago at an adult party, and uh, which I didn't know about, that is going to be also a king party. And so one participant handed me a piece of rope and asked me just to wrap her. I said, I don't know anything about rope. And I recall she said, just make sure the rope doesn't fall off me. <laughs> That's a good start. And I guess I still remain true when I tie. I make sure the rope doesn't fall off anybody. <laughs> so, and uh, I got hooked on that immediately and um, never looked back. And, and uh, I have to say, you know, I never really knew anything about rope before. It wasn't something that I, you know, pursued, but it became my absolute passion. So can you tell us a bit more about your journey with Yukimura Haruki and Naka Akira? So what, what drew you to their styles? How do you incorporate it? Talk, talk to us a bit about that. Um, so I want to say that my personality is such when I get passionate about something, it, it becomes a profession. So when I say rope is my profession, it's not my first job, but I'm always going with the commitment that I, that I do this. It's kind of profession. And so, of course, I decided to look up all the Japanese bondage masters and see what they do. Uh, so I, I want to start because you asked about uh, Yekimura Haruki. Uh, so with Haruki, some bondage spoke to me in, in a way, in a way, you know, in, in, in essential and erotic and playful way when I first saw it. And, and it was interesting to see that he was almost like a conductor of sexually perverted fantasies. And what, what really struck me is that initially I thought about ropes and more about kind of some kind of almost engineered thing, you know, some kind of like structured pattern thing. Mm-hmm. And then I, I was looking the way he was tying. It was just, it was just not about ropes at all. And, and the way he was really handling the model, the way he was almost talking to the model, uh, it, it's just, uh, the model was so aroused, not just from ropes, but the way he was tying. And, um, that that took me years to understand what that even means. 
and this um, little details of touch, sense of charge, empty space, and the time with progression, that all these fundamentals of Yukimura style that uh, I, I got a little bit of a, of a taste. Unfortunately, I never really had an opportunity to study with him personally, mm -hmm. um, uh, but I was, uh, I was lucky enough to take uh, one of the workshops uh, held by one of his students, Murasaki-san in Roku-san in LA. And uh, that, was, that workshop was one of the most transformative, I think, in, in shaping my way of tying, even today. And, um, um, you know, the way, the way that I saw Yukimura's style, it's kind of like this sensualist, sadistic, reactionary personality that, that he showed there. That kind of reflects my personality, too. And so it kind of allowed me to naturally incorporate this, this kind of um, ways of Yukimura tied before into my rope. And we, talk, we can talk about this in a little bit, too. Uh, but I think, I think that's, that's, that's uh, kind of a point because a lot of followers only see my photography and they don't really see the way I tie. And I think I picked a lot of the ways uh, to tie a model in that central way, in that central erotic way from, from Yakimura. Mm. From Yakimura's son. But yeah, I never got to meet him, unfortunately. Uh, of course, uh, if you ask me about Johnny with Akira Naka, that's much more detailed and nuanced story. Uh, uh, I want to say that I found, initially I found Rope Works by Naka Sensei and, uh, and some other riggers trying to imitate him because he was getting, it, the style was getting more well known and was getting more popular through Fat Life. Because um, I joined Fat Life when I learned something about kink and it was like a place, I guess, to learn things. Yeah. Uh, and that's where I saw some of these photographs. And uh, I was immediately kind of enthralled by the tightly knit bondage. Uh, the way the way it emphasized the model's emotions as opposed to complicated rope patterns. But initially it seemed to me a bit more sadistic, lacking the sensuality. It was a little bit darker to me in the way it looked. Of course, I had no idea what was the, what, at the core of Naka style spirit. Mm. So, and at the time, about six years ago, I was just discovering the need to acquire tying skills. I didn't really know much. And, um, and I didn't really know the direction I wanted to take. Uh, but I knew one thing that the circus style bondage with many transitions and flips just seemed that it seems, seemed that constantly was focused on ropes. Never really truly appealed to my desires to, uh, because I really wanted to learn how to focus on the person I'm tying. Okay. Um, okay. And so in 2015, uh, I, I had this amazing opportunity to attend Naka Sensei's performance with Iroko San in Baltimore. And that was a mesmerizing experience. And I just want to like, I just remembered it, uh, you know, thinking about it how he slowly approached the stage like a predator searching his prey. Mm. And then it's about an hour, you know, you have this long, slowly, but deliberately every moment show, you know, he drew the tears in the crowd by digging into Rokosan's soul. I just remember that. It was just profound. I mm. uh, I just felt so deeply be part of her suffering. And I found myself paying almost no attention to how the rope would look like. I just couldn't take my eyes of the way Nakasan say was contemplating Rokosan. His eyes locked on her at every moment. And this authority without dominance, how his graceful movements on stage, the way he talked with Arokosan without any words, uh, freely tying her by being in the moment. It made me realize that Naka style is not about physical sadism. It's about, you know, this epitome of beauty of suffering, mm. an expression of inner turmoil. And that's, that's when I decided that this style, this traditional seminar is my, my destiny, my past. And so I knew I wanted to exclusively study in this style. Amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it, 
it took me all these years to embrace dyeing in the spirit of the style. And I think that that's, that's a, a kind of important distinction that in a lot of the times people think about the style as just some, you know, set of collection of shapes. And they completely miss what in the spirit of the style. Uh, it takes it takes long time to understand, uh, and and I can and I can say that from experience. Mm. And you really need to have absolute commitment to it. It's a passion that 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 you have that has to come from your heart, from your personality. Mm. And uh, you know the the person like the rigor in the Naka style seminar is kind of like this revealer of inner emotions. It's kind of like this person who leads. Uh, who leads with ropes to surrender with contemplation and empathy from the model and from contemplation from the model empathy from from the rigor of the audience and honestly as a rigor I love being in that role and that's the primary way how I incorporate Naka style spirit in the way I tie hmm. so if our listeners are interested in uh, moving their play to a more erotic Semenawa style what are some of the things they can do to use that style in their play, you think? So uh, I think it, it really uh, it kind of depends on uh, perceptions. We have this, you know, in the West, people interpret things slightly different, what, what it means erotic to them. Mm-hmm. To me, what I find erotic about seminar is something that comes from within a person. It's it's not it's not something that comes from outside. Okay. Uh, it, it's it, the, the the person I'm tying could be completely dressed, and it's still there is so much eroticism in the way the model responds to me, and the model reveals herself to me. So that 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 part is a little bit my own interpretation of how I see this, but um, you know, it, it really, the, as as Nakasen say would say, you know, uh, there is. There is no real definitions to these things. It's something that you do in the moment. That that's something that you feel, and mm-hmm. and and I kind of and I kind of believe the same way. It, once you define something, you kind of like you know lock yourself into this dogma. You know when you have to always kind of think about some definitions, and and we we have a lot to discuss. So I think that we we will get to that uh, also as we go. Okay. Uh, Odis, what about power exchange? What uh, place does it take in your rope practice? So the power exchange, you know, it's interesting because I'm like a nurturing person by, by character. So for me, it's like having this control where I actually can take care of someone is that's how I exert that control. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that fits very well when, when I, when I'm entering any power exchange arrangements. And when I tie someone, I take responsibility for the space I provide in the form of safety and care. And so, and I also have this belief that the submission or surrender must be earned. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of what I try to do. It's, um, you know, I try to have an authority without dominance. It's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of dear to heart to me. It's one of those, uh, you know, the traditional Japanese wabi-sabi concept of shibumi, where you, you're trying to be authoritative, but, uh, to, to do, have an authority, but you don't, you don't demand it. You, you're not, you're not showing that you're just this dom with dom in a way. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, when, when I have that kind of way to be nurturing, but in control of that, that's where it gets the, where, where I get the most, the most pleasure from it. And so I use the ropes as a tool for that. And, and effectively, you know, just just as a tool of maybe that control, but it's never really about ropes for me, especially these days. They used to be in the past uh, when I was learning how to die, but these days it's it's more about uh, you know this exchange between me and my partner. Hmm. Yeah. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. 
Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. A thing I say sometimes that I don't know if you uh, relate to that is as you go through your rope journey from beginner to intermediate to advanced and so on, you start by learning how to tie, then you learn what to tie, and then finally you learn why to tie. Does that speak to you? Yes, that exactly speaks to me. And actually, um, I have a quote that I came up with. Once you master how to tie something, you will start tying someone. Oh, that's also very nice. I like that very much. Yeah, it came to me, you know, uh, as, an, as my style has been evolving. Uh, mm-hmm. And you're absolutely right. And actually, the difficult part for me was in the beginning, I, I had it in reverse. Um, you know, I, I was trying, I wanted to tie a person, but I didn't have the craft in my hands. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to tie. And so it seemed to me that I had this conflicting desires when I wanted to be tying a person, but I was just stuck with ropes. Mm. And I, fortunately, I, I, you know, through talking to some people who were like, you know, they were like, okay, you have to understand how to tie first. And I didn't understand what, why they were, why they were pushing me because I look around, everybody's doing suspensions. And, you know, and then I, and then uh, thankfully I realized that in time, that I have to focus on the way I tie to actually master the, the craft of tying. And now I'm in, a, in, in much better position to evolve the art of tying someone as I, as I'm mastering how to tie something. Mm. And I think this was, this was one of my biggest evolutions that I made, uh, in, in, in the past, uh, well, in, in, in all these six years I've been tying, but especially in the past, you know, four, four years for sure. Awesome. You talk about, um, uh, sensually erotic seminar. So where does the border or the boundary lie for you between sensuality and sexuality in rope? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, so I think that in, in my view, the sensuality is the way to connect with someone's emotions, while sexuality is a way to physically connect with someone's body. And this is how I kind of make the distinction between the two. But of course, uh, this is also uh, they're different in my tying intents as well. Uh, and the lines could be blurred sometimes. So it, it's a kind of like this interesting question. For example, uh, in, in, in the session, what, what role am I playing? Am I a guard in prison, in prison handling an inmate? Or, or am I a warrior admiring a beautiful muse? You know, so from that two perspective, it, it really changes the way I would approach the session itself. Like, for example, in, in a prison handling case, it would be more sexual objectifying intent, while, you know, being admiring a warrior, being a warrior of someone, admiring somebody, someone, it's more like a caressing or loving feeling, so it's more sensual. Hmm. So that's, that's where I think is, is the difference for me. But but it, it's also a good question because it's where I kind of like pick a little bit of this Yakimura style and bring it a little bit in, that into Naka style, like more like this, sometimes like a little bit sadistic seminar. Mm. So that's that's I think where 
where that comes in. And it, it comes through the way I type. So uh, not just not just from photography that you see kind of the final shape or mm. something, but like in the way I actually type. All right. So speaking of photography, Otis, your photos of on FetLife are some of my favorite in the whole website. Uh, what is the place of photography for you in Rome? Mm. Yes. So thank you for your kind words. Um, you know, I have to say that I'm a rigger first and photographer second. Uh, and uh, uh, every time that I, you know, I tie, I wish, uh, the, and when we, you know, taking photos of something, I wish that uh, there was actually a photographer uh, helping me. But I had to learn photography because uh, I'm almost always tying and, and, and taking photographs. Uh, and but I don't I don't regret it. I actually, I'm very happy that I developed my photography skills, and especially with regards to Kimbaku. So I want to just uh, preface this discussion a little bit with a quote from Sigura Sensei, who has actually become my inspiration and guidance in developing and improving Kimbaku photography. Uh, so he says that there is a lot of information that doesn't appear in a photograph. However, photographs allow for reflection that's still the emotion of the moment. There is a difference between the feeling of the atmosphere, atmosphere at the scene and the feeling of looking at a single photograph isn't there. And that, that, this quote really speaks deeply to, to the way I evolved in understanding and, and what is the place of, of Kimbaku photography in my time. And so what I find, the challenge is how to give the viewer the dynamism of the session with the stillness of a photo. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's especially that's especially so because traditional Kinbaku and Naka style spirit is never about shapes. And and so that's why it's not easy sometimes to appreciate Naka style Kinbaku by simply looking at photos. And the better I can accomplish that, the more there is this imagination left for the viewer. And, uh, for example, tying in a symmetric or broken shape can give the viewer a visual sense of empathy to the person. Mm. Maybe the soul is, is in turmoil or broken. So, and the other thing that I want my photos to have this timeless effect where the longer you, someone looks at my photos or they come back to look at it again and again, the more captivating it is, the more story they can tell. And so in, in a way, photography for me is a tool to tell about the journey, uh, that I take my partner on. Uh, the other thing that, that, that has a place, it's also about timing. It's, uh, uh, I've, I've been told many times that being seen through the lens is, is, is actually an emotion on its own. And in a way, for me, you know, it's also a way to kind of step back and take a photograph. It allows me to slow down and contemplate my, uh, whoever I'm tying in a progressive way. Mm. So it's kind of both sides of it. Uh, and I must say that uh, I've, you know, I've, I've gotten to love doing photography. Uh, it's something that I embraced and had to work quite a bit on. Fortunately, I had some people around me who, who helped me a little bit with equipment, with skills how to do it. But as, as Kinbaku itself, it's tying itself, it's uh, photography is a skill. Uh, mm. And, um, you know, you have to really master it before you can become an art of, of actually photographing someone. You have, to, you have to learn how to photograph something. Yeah, yeah. okay. So and and how do you um, connect with and, and find rock bottoms or rock models? So uh, in the beginning of my journey, it was uh, it was quite difficult because uh, you know when nobody knows you, it's it's very difficult to find anybody to tie. And that's that's the time when you when you want to learn and practice, and you don't have that. Um, so uh, lately, I want to say it reversed. I have a lot of models reaching out for me for sessions, and I think that because I have this, you know, because also due to the pandemic, there are no events that uh, uh, held in person. 
So Rob Bondage world is mostly virtual. So everybody's looking at the photos, moving from social media sites to between social media sites and so forth. And, uh, you know, they, uh, someone just looks at my photos and they're very, you know, impressed, I suppose. And they, they reach out to me for a session. Um, so, but as we just talked about photos, especially in the style, are a bit misleading, uh, to, to exactly understand the demands of the style. And, uh, so what I, what I try to do now is, you know, over, over time, and I've been told that too, that, uh, this, this style is quite advanced. So I'm trying to be quite selective on who I would like to, to tie with and, and give that session to because of, you know, the actual style itself. And, uh, uh, when, when you have somebody who is brand new to rope, it requires, you know, long building of trust. And, uh, you know, the seeing how, how they can be in ropes and so forth. So it takes a long time to build. So what I try to do now is kind of focus on more, more of existing partners who came to Kimbaku Odyssey, uh, for, for a long time now. And, and, and I, and I find that, you know, the quality is over quantity is something that, uh, is, is much better for me these days mentally as well. All right. Um, so in terms of, the thing that keeps you going, that keeps you doing rope very intensively for so many years. What what do you think is that ongoing motivation? What is the love you have for rope right now? Um, that's 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 also uh, that's also a good question. So I so I want to say you know that rope to me, especially these days, is is a way to escape the realities of dealing with my past personal emotional traumas. Uh, okay. It's been. Uh, a little bit difficult several years. And I think this is why Seminawa really speaks deeply to my soul. It's about, there is some sadness. I live day, day to day. And uh, it is said that, you know, that, that this Seminawa rope is, is, is about some, it's, it's, a sad, it's, it's kind of a sad rope. So you don't, you don't have an expression, if, if you, don't, you don't say let's, let's have fun and do Seminawa. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not the, the, the spirit of this at all. And so, and so depending on the day, you know, I would tie in a certain way that allows me to kind of channel that sadness. Um, and also, you know, besides that, Rob also fits in the way my mind works. It's kind of like a cross between analytical engineering mind and artistic mindset. And from analytical standpoint, engineering standpoint, if you will, Rob is kind of a tool and a craft uh, that I can create shapes and positions. But from artistic standpoint, it's kind of allows me to express my inner emotions and even fantasies sometimes where a shape becomes an experience that I create with my partner. So that kind of a blend for me too. Um, and also I discovered over time that rope allows me to be this nurturing and empathetic towards the person I tie. And it's something that fits well with my personality. Uh, also, I'm, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm a perfectionist. So I'm driven by custom design to improve, to try my best. And, uh, you know, I must say that I'm driven by making my teacher proud of what I have accomplished. Mm. Uh, and, uh, sometimes the bar is very high, uh, and I love to face that challenge. And uh, I try to surround myself with partners who knows how passionate and driven I am. And mm. I think this is motivations for me to develop further and learn from each experience. And we've seen, um, from the photos that you have created your own quite beautiful looking studio. So can you mm. tell us a bit about the design of that and how you created it? Uh, yes, uh, thank you for your kind words. Uh, so about the studio, actually, when I uh, uh, made the first trip to Japan in 2017 to study with Naka-sensei, you know, I was uh, greatly inspired by the design of his studio, which he calls an atelier. Uh, and what, what it is, it struck me that 
it is not located in any kind of like old traditional Japanese home. It's basically a modern Japanese apartment. So mm. he effectively, his studio is effectively just a reconstruction of a small traditional Japanese room. And I was struck by that, that you can actually construct something like this in your own, you know, modern, modern style town home or whatever home you have living. Um, and so, uh, my, my goal was kind of like to come when I come back from Japan studying with Nakasensei is to be able to practice that Kinbaku, to practice what we learned, to practice so I can, I can get better and, and master the skills. And so this was one of the desires to kind of almost create a replica of, of, of his atelier. Uh, and that, that's, that's basically what it is. It's in a way, uh, kind of like bringing his studio to, 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 to the States. Uh, it, it's a, it's a place where I really, I'm very inspired. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, where I create a lot. And Kinbaku Odyssey itself, uh, you know, it reads, the logo reads Horu Kinbaku or wandering or searching, uh, for, or searching in Japanese. And uh, Naka-sensei helped me to come up with that because Odyssey is not, is, it's a foreign word, so it doesn't have a direct translation to Japanese. And so that kind of reflects this essence of journey in search of the past. Hmm. And it's very fitting to what the spirit the studio has. Um, it's, um, it's something that uh, when I step into, into that space to tie, I, my, my mindset changes immediately. And that's very special. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Odis, how do you see your tying style evolving in the future? Um, well, as, as my as the quote I said, once you master how to tie something, you will start tying someone. So the evolution already happened uh, in, in, in this way where I really step back and try to master the how to tie. And uh, now I'm focusing more on, on art of tying someone. Mm. And so these days when I tie, it's, it's more of a tool to tell a story. Uh, I try to open my partner's heart uh, so they can share their vulnerabilities and emotions to me. Um, you know, and, 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 and seeing, and seeing my improvements in the way I tie in, in the craft of tying, Nakasen says has been encouraging me to develop tying in freestyle, where you tie in the moment without the plan or shape in mind. Hmm. And, uh, that's how I see it as my future direction is I'm, I'm going and, and also this approach will also help me to solidify my own style. Yeah, and okay. my own way of doing things. Hmm. And of course, no doubt I will be continuing to focus on traditional, you know, seminar in the traditional Naka style spirit because that's where my heart is. Yeah. But uh, tying in freestyle, it, it's something that once you have enough tying skills, you can really start exploring this in a deeper way. That makes a lot of sense. And in terms of your current goals or the current projects you're uh, working on, do you want to share that with us a little bit? Uh, at the moment, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm deciding what, what would like, what I would like to do. One, one of my kind of longer term goals is to create a photo book. And, uh, I would like to, I'm, I'm still thinking about the concept of it. Um, I have a very kind of unique position of tying a lot of people from different backgrounds, body types and, and almost cultures. And that's, that's something that I'm thinking about maybe to organize it in that way. Hmm. Uh, haven't decided yet. So photo book is, is something that I would like to work on. The, the second thing is I would like to have my own students and I would like to develop uh, almost like a little school in my studio. Uh, uh, and uh, I'm greatly inspired uh, what uh, Ricardo Wilta has been able to, to accomplish with, hmm. with his students. And so uh, uh, it's, it's a little bit difficult in the States uh, because the culture here is such that uh, 
people just don't select long-term teachers. They, they try to learn from a lot of places. Mm. It seems to be quite shallow. Uh, oftentimes, uh, people don't try to stick with any one style. Uh, they try to mix a lot of things. Uh, but it's something that I, that I would like to really build as a student base, as someone, as, 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 as so that someone who is more dedicated to this specific style. Uh, and then, of course, uh, I hear a lot of the times that people come to me, uh, they, they, they tell me that rope for them is more medi- uh, meditating or cathartic experience. And I guess I make a difference in, 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 in people's lives. Somebody told me they're sleeping better after, after, after they tie with me. That's always so, good. so, you know, so I think that your menu was harbor deep feelings of sadness that is hard to let go of. And I think that, uh, what I, my, my, uh, the experience that I provide, my tying style, I think gives that opportunity to explore, uh, these feelings by being set free, you know, and having this time to, to be, to be in ropes is something that I like to give. It's, um, um, it's quite profound for me to share that. So I would like to continue this path. It's okay. probably one, three things that on my mind. Okay, thank you so much, Odis, for all the inspiration and all the information you've shared with us today. If our listeners want to know more about you, what are the best places to find you on the internet? Uh, so I have, uh, uh, well, I use three uh, social media platforms, PetLife. Uh, that's, you, you know, where, where to find me there. Then uh, my Twitter is Rigor Odis, and uh, Instagram is also Rigor Odis. Okay, awesome. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. So that's all from us today at The Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and come find us on our Pet Life page, Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FetLife. If you like this podcast and would enjoy more episodes, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening and have fun tying.